Welcome to the Onfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the OnFIF podcast. My name is Lewis McClellan. I'm the editor of the Digital Monetary Institute here at OnFIF, and today we're going to be discussing tokenized green bond issuance. To help me with that, we've got Kenneth Hui, an executive director at the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Hi, Lewis. Good to be here. And Rosie Hampson, executive director at the Goldman Sachs Digital Asset Team. Hey, Lewis. Thanks for having me. Great to have you both. And you guys have been collaborating on a tokenized green bond issuance project, and there's a white paper coming out soon. So looking forward to the details there. But yeah, let's get started. Kenneth, can you talk a little bit about the motivations behind this project? What, you know, what were you hoping to achieve with this tokenized green bonds project? Yep, sure. So we started this tokenization journey about two years ago. At the time, a lot of the attention when people talk about digital asset, when people talk about DLT was more on virtual asset, you know, the, the kind of Bitcoin and the like. But what we realized at the time was that there is quite a lot of potential to deploy DLT technology to existing processes in financial market. There could be a lot of efficiency gain and also a lot of risk reduction that we could achieve by using the technology. So at the time, we team up with the Banks for International Settlements. They have an innovation hub in Hong Kong. So we team up with them, started this project called Project Genesis. Basically, it concept tested the issuance of tokenized retail green bond in Hong Kong with special features like individual wallets for investors and also the kind of automatic tracking of environmental impact, also in real time as well. And then last year, we decided to take that project forward with a real money transaction. We've been issuing, for those of you that are familiar with the Hong Kong kind of government bond market, we've been issuing government green bond in conventional format, you know, conventional book building institutional format since 2019. And what we decided last year was to leverage that program and to try out this innovative issuance process using DLT features. And that's, that's what we did, teaming up with Rosie's team at Goldman to do a small-scale issuance because we knew that at the time it's a real money issuance. We wanted to start prudently. We wanted to start small. All we wanted to do was to kind of put real money in it and then to see if the kind of concept that we have at the time could really be achieved in real life under the existing legal and regulatory regime. And yeah, that, that's what we managed to do. After quite a few months of very intense preparation, the, the actual issuance came out earlier this year in February and happy to talk more about it during this podcast. Fantastic. Thank you. Rosie, let's come to you now. When, when did Goldman Sachs come on board with this and what were the what were some of the challenges that you encountered in, in applying DLT to, to the issuance process? Yeah, sure. So and kind of as as Kenneth mentioned, it's it's been a fantastic journey that, you know, we've all gone on together. And I think one thing just to highlight from the beginning is we were really thrilled by not just the individual success of this real world project and as Kenneth mentioned it was very important for this to be a true kind of non-pilot project but also for the positive impact that it's had on the market HKMA and of course for our own platform so from inception through to issuance the project was roughly kind of eight months long I would say a large component of this was really focused on you know, aligning the product to regulatory regimes, as well as future proofing the solution was very important. So we wanted to ensure that for issuances of this structure in Hong Kong would be able to stand up against evolving regulations and regimes. And, you know, that's the first of its kind. So for future issuances, there would obviously be shorter lead times in terms of go to market product offerings. You talk about challenges, I think I will first 
maybe mention some of the the benefits because I think when we talk about this type of technology, we really need to recognize the promise that we have here. And Kenneth actually mentioned a few in terms of the the motivations for this project in the first instance, but really thinking about, you know, efficiency. So enhanced speed and, and functionality. So by operating transactions on blockchain, the speed and efficiency of which they can occur can can increase. And so you can lead to things like T plus zero or atomic settlement, because you can reduce transaction times and obviously reduce the complexity of the transactions themselves. And this is through the use of things such as smart contracts. You can use smart contracts to automate processes, which in turn obviously reduces admin costs and, and streamlines value chains. And this is alongside features such as the potential for programmable securities as well. Kenneth also mentioned risk reductions. So, you know, by enabling atomic settlement and reducing the number of intermediaries required in a transaction, DLT could provide a multitude of benefits, both in, in primary markets and also in secondary markets. And the provision afforded by blockchain really allows for the allocation of assets down to the nearest minute, which you know then you can reduce risk and, and also actually funding costs in some situations as well. I think just to highlight a couple more benefits is really thinking about broadening investor base and increasing the liquidity. So there's really a great potential for blockchain to enhance price discovery of illiquid assets through a radical degree of transparency compared to existing offerings. So you can fractionalize investment opportunities. You can enable trading of illiquid assets, such as potentially real estate for secondary market transactions, and thus, you know, democratizing ownership, which is really a, a very strong benefit for this type of technology. And finally, I think is transparency. And particularly as we look at the green or sustainably linked space, transparency is so important. And this could really enable and kind of help to improve sustainability credentials and reporting procedures. And these were a number of items that were actually trialed as part of Project Genesis, as, as Kenneth mentioned as well. But DLT provides greater visibility into asset activity, into ownership, by creating this immutable record of historical token ownership. So you can streamline reconciliations for all participants because you have this clear single source of truth, importantly, in, in real time. So I think the benefits are, are very clear. And actually, there's a lot of research that's been done by institutions such as the World Economic Forum, Deloitte and McKinsey, that have actually projected that by 2025-2027, up to 10% of global GDP will be stored and transacted with the help of blockchain technology. So the promise really is there to, to kind of help support the, the industry and, and help move the market. On the challenges space, I think for this issuance in particular, given it was tokenized, it was really key to ensure for all of us that there was still connectivity to the traditional systems and traditional infrastructure. So to ensure that the off-chain processes happen smoothly. So to enable this, we ensured that channels such as SWIFT were maintained to allow for traditional messaging as well. And I think we'll come on to later from a flow perspective that given there was off-chain connectivity and reliance, there were a few market practices, therefore, that we had to adhere to in terms of cutoff times or market hours. So for this issuance, we adhered to a T plus one settlement cycle. However, technically, a T plus zero settlement would be would be possible. 
another, I don't like to call it challenge per se, but area that we worked through as a kind of collective group was the cash leg and custody structure. So these were areas that we really worked through to ensure that there was an adequate solution in place to ensure that the account structure represented claims against Hong Kong dollar against the HKMA that was being held in accounts off chain. So this was very important to ensure we had a robust structure place for the cash and custody component. So yes, you you could call these challenges, but I think I would classify them better as learning opportunities. Given it was the first of its kind in Hong Kong, it was the first sovereign tokenized green bond issuance. It really allowed us to model an ideal flow and, and obviously working very closely with Kenneth and team to ensure that for future issuances in this market, but more broadly, globally, that structure is in place and available. Fantastic. Yeah, I can imagine that that quality of being interoperable with the current system is, is very important. Otherwise, you, you end up issuing an asset that is only tradable or holdable, you know, it's not not easily exchanged for, for conventional assets that are not issued in this way. And I guess that, that would be a problem for the market. Can you talk us through the actual process of, of the issuance in a little bit more detail, maybe how it differs from conventional way of doing? Sure, I'll take us through the, the flow for the recent bond issuance. So the flow mimics, and as I explained in, in some of the benefits and challenges, the flow mimics as much as possible the traditional flow with the GS DAP having been built to support both tokenized and digitally native product issuances across their entire life cycle. And a key component of GS DAP is that it supports both cash and securities legs. And as I talk through the flow, you'll you'll see that this was a really key feature to enable on-chain atomic settlement, which is was a real key benefit and key feature for this issuance. So I just want to level set for the audience in the sense of the difference between a tokenized issuance and a digitally native issuance. So tokenized products are those that are issued or registered off-chain in the first instance in a traditional manner. And then the record of issuance and the record of ownership is reflected on-chain and further actions can then be conducted on-chain versus a digital issuance are those that are issued natively on the chain, which means that the chain and the ledger is the only record source. So for Project Evergreen, it was a tokenized issuance, but just wanting to make sure that the audience understand the key difference there. So the, the GS DAP is built on a private enterprise blockchain. So all parties involved in this issuance were required to be permissioned onto the platform for their respective roles. And again, this is a key distinction from some, some other platforms or projects that you've seen in the market that are purely on public chain. So this is a permissioned chain that is used. And for this issuance, we had a number of parties involved. So we had the, the Hong Kong SAR government, HKMA, BOC Hong Kong, Credit Agricole, HSBC and ourselves. And all of these parties assumed one or more role as part of the transaction in a traditional manner, I would say, which is quite important there. So at a high level for the primary issuance, the lodging agent lodges the global certificate at the CMU, as is traditional. And then the tokenization registrar then originates the bond on chain and credits the issuer's on chain securities account. So with the equivalent bond tokens, as has been lodged in the traditional 
system. So investors then transfer the necessary Hong Kong dollars to their custodian's account off-chain, with their custodian then crediting the corresponding on-chain cash account with cash tokens. And importantly here, the cash token minting is done by the cash token manager on-chain, which for this issuance was assumed by the CMU. So once the assets and kind of cash leg are are there on chain, then the takedown trade is facilitated. um, And this is conducted DVP between the issuer and the lead bank. You then subsequently have broker trades and you have investor trades as well. And importantly, the cash tokens and the security tokens are settled atomically on chain, which is a really kind of key benefit of this issuance. The issuer can then submit a cash token redemption request. And in doing so, cash tokens are then transferred from the issuer's account to the cash token manager's account. They're then subsequently archived and the equivalent Hong Kong dollar can be then sent to the issuer's account off chain. So it's very important to understand this archiving model in the sense of ensuring that you're not then double counting from a cash leg perspective. When it comes to things like asset servicing, um, as I mentioned, our platform is full lifecycle. So asset servicing events can also occur on the platform. So such as coupon payment and the flow is very similar. You know, the the issuer via the paying agent transfers necessary funds off chain. And thereafter, the cash token manager mints the necessary cash tokens on chain at the request of the tokenization registrar and, and then credits their account. So the payment of cash tokens is made to custodians on chain accounts on behalf of their investors. And then investors, should they want to have Hong Kong dollars versus cash tokens, they can make a request to their custodian in a traditional manner to request this this archiving and resultantly have the corresponding Hong Kong dollars transferred into their bank account off chain. So very similar to the, the kind of primary issuance flow. Secondary trading is obviously another component. Important to note that no trades are agreed on on GSDAP. All trades are agreed OTC via kind of BAU traditional channels. But then what's important is that the trade details are input into the platform so that you can have that DVP settlement on the platform and the the cash tokens and the security tokens can can move between it. So I try to simplify it somewhat in terms of describing the flow. But as you can see, it, it follows the traditional flow in nature whilst using blockchain to achieve the kind of core benefits such as atomic settlement and risk reduction that we've already mentioned, whilst not moving away too much from the norm. Yeah, absolutely. It does sound like really in terms of how investors interact with it, not too much has to change operationally for them, which I guess is is an important quality for, for adoption. Yeah, thank you. That was That was very clear. And it's yeah good to get a closer understanding of it. Kenneth, can I come to you on this? How different was the process from your perspective? That what what changes, you know, operationally for you, or how does it differ from conventional? I think Rosie explained it quite well uh, when she when she talked about the flow of the issuance, the key differences between this issuance and the previous issuance. By and large, we follow the existing flow of conventional issuance, but by using this new technology, we managed to get a lot of efficiency gain. For example, by Having both the security and cash leg on chain, we were able to achieve atomic settlement. We were able to significantly reduce settlement cycle. 
And we were also able to put the full life cycle process of the bond issuance from settlement to coupon payment to maturity redemption. We, we were able to put everything on chain. That's also quite different from some of the other previous DLT-based tokenized issuance. But I think what, what is also important is not just you know what this issuance has done, as Rosie mentioned just now, in order to attract more kind of investor as well as more banks to participate in this issuance, we did have to follow some of the existing processes. So there are some efficiency gain that we could in theory achieve, but we didn't do that in this issuance. So the importance of this issuance is not just this issuance itself, but what it kind of do to pave way for you know future development, future issuances. And I think here is very important Rosie quoted a figure, which I find quite interesting, which is that potentially up to one-tenth of all data, all financial data would be stored on-chain within a few years. And this is exactly the kind of future we are preparing for, in effect, to future-proof ourselves. Our legal and regulatory system is one key piece. Although this issuance shows that Hong Kong's legal and regulatory system can support a tokenized issuance, we do feel that there are places that you know, we can do to to improve that, to make life easier for future issuers. So this is something that, you know, by going through this whole process, we managed to take out and we will be working on. Another important aspect is to make sure that our market participants are likewise ready. Although there are quite a lot of talk about, you know, DLT platform tokenized issuance, and some banks have already started this journey. A lot of them haven't. And a lot of the issuers group or the investor groups are still even further behind. So what we hope to use with this issuance is really to to let them know, well, this can be done. Here's how to do it. Well, come on, get your eggs together and 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 start getting prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Very important to to kind of get some momentum going in, in the adoption process. I was going to ask a little bit about how, you know, your your next projects in the tokenized bond space. How are you intending to to build on on the success of this deal, and uh, yeah, what what comes next? Yeah, so you mentioned at the beginning that we were doing a white paper. That's exactly right. Uh, so what we're doing now at this very moment is to summarize our experience from that inaugural issuance and prepare some insights on how we do tokenized bond issuance in Hong Kong. We hope to do this um, in a more general manner, you know, so that it can be a applied across different technology, different platform design, and also cover different kind of deal structuring and also the the kind of legal and regulatory issues, which are important. So with that blueprint, we hope that not just the HKMA, not just Hong Kong government, but other issuers could also do this kind of issuance. What we also realize is that the market need more pushes to more trial issuance to, to raise awareness and also to test out different technology. So we are also looking to try and explore further use cases. These use cases could be in terms of you know, different issues, parameters, or uh, more innovative features, such as I think Rosie mentioned at the beginning about potentially green reporting, impact reporting, and all those. Second issue is, we didn't really cover it, but, but I think lurking in everyone's mind is that you know, with Goldman Sachs having one platform and another bank having the second platform, how do these platforms talk to each other? How we will be able to address fragmentation, how we will be able to address uh, interoperability issues. So this is also an area that we want to look at, and we want to use potentially the next issuance to, to try out some possibility, some options to address this. 
And then finally is the legal and regulatory framework that I mentioned just now. This is something that we'll have to work on with the government, with other regulators to to provide clarity. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that interoperability component is going to be going to be very important going forward. Okay, brilliant. Um, I wanted to to come on to another kind of aspect of the digital asset infrastructure or or ecosystem that's going to be important to supporting the the development and the proliferation of of tokenized solutions and that's custody i think obviously if you're holding a digital asset via your traditional custodian they have to develop the the infrastructure to to hold that how do you feel like the landscape is for for custody solutions for digital assets at the moment and do you want to see that kind of develop more to to drive growth it is indeed an important issue in our view. You know, custody is, or more more kind of importantly, custody ownership and holding of security asset is consistent with the approach that, you know, the majority of the world's securities are being held. And by using a similar approach for digital bond, digital securities, we could potentially ease the transition from the conventional model to the digital model. And this is also a lot easier for investors. Imagine you are, you know, a small fund manager or even a wealthy individual that don't have the kind of DLT tokenization capability. Rather than opening an account on the platform, you can simply use your existing custodian and then through the custodian relationship to hold a digital asset. So this is going to be much, much easier for many of these investors that, you know, either don't have the capability or maybe in uh, investing you know rather infrequently that it's not worth developing this capability so so yes this is important this is not also you know not exactly straightforward what we realized from our first issuance is that first people may not have the right kind of custodian relationship not all custodian banks would have the kind of take technical digital capability to be able to hold digital asset so the investor may need to switch custodian and at the very least they have to find which custodian would have that capability. So that's something they, they would have to do extra on top of basically what they have been doing all along. And secondly, even if an investor has a particular custodian relationship with a custodian bank, a lot of the existing custodial agreement do not necessarily cover digital assets. So there would likely be some kind of renegotiation and uplifting of the existing legal agreement. So although, you know, custodian is important and although, you know, it seems straightforward when it comes to implementation, there still be quite a lot of operational and legal issues that, that we have to deal with. I think just to add on to that, and I think Kenneth is is spot on there, it, it's really making sure that custodians are able to cater for both high and and low touch from an investor perspective, you do have some very savvy, kind of technically savvy investors there who actually want to maybe have direct access to their holdings, kind of from a more self-custody perspective. But you also have those investors that kind of have very limited technical maturity on being able to hold their keys themselves and therefore want that low touch interaction where the the custodian is acting kind of on their behalf. And as Kenneth mentioned, is very important, making sure that the relevant agreements are in place that do support the custodying of digital assets and not simply traditional assets per se. So I think there is quite a lot of uplift still required. 
But I would say we're we're really seeing traditional custodians making very strong progress in the digital asset space and particularly from an infrastructure design and development perspective. So I think as we see this continued development from custodians, we're only going to see increased fluidity for, for future issuances. So I think we're trending in the right direction, but there is certainly a lot more work to be done on that space. Excellent. Yes, well, we'll see exactly how that advances. It, it does seem encouraging that from from the way you guys and, and others in the industry are talking, it doesn't seem like there's technical problems remaining to be solved. It's just a question of implementation, ensuring that that's in, done in a compliant fashion. And and I guess interoperability might be a challenge, but it, it, it seems like the technical solutions are there. It's just a question of making sure they're deployed safely. I think they are, but I would maybe add to that. And this is not custody specific. It's more kind of obstacle uh, kind of across the market more broadly that we're seeing that a lot of these issuances are the first of their their kind, right? And uh, we're still in the relative early stages of commercial blockchain adoption from a more wider kind of ecosystem perspective. So I think adoption is still a really big challenge because there is some significant uplift still required and, and kind of integration with legacy systems is required in in the near term to make sure that you can have that transition to blockchain. And of course, this challenge comes with, you know, technical resourcing and, and prioritization. So that is a challenge for, for the market and for some firms. I think given that we're still in relative nascency of adoption from a commercial level, you then have the challenge from a liquidity standpoint. So given the market as a whole is still early stages from digital issuances, there's a tendency to suffer from a lack of liquidity, given low numbers of participants and and FMIs who are on chain. So this in turn, then, as you mentioned, Lewis relates to interoperability and kind of one of the barriers for adoption is the current low levels of interoperability of of kind of platforms across the market. But it's really a bit of a catch-22 until there's greater interoperability, kind of adoption and thus liquidity is not really going to increase. And so it does require the market participants to almost front run such work on, on interoperability. And going back to Kenneth's point that he mentioned before, it really requires the market to all come together and kind of work as a collective. And I think as market participants, as a collective, you know, move forward across a broad set of applications re-architecting the kind of financial plumbing using blockchain is just going to become a lot easier. And from our perspective, we don't see this as something that one participant or a company can do by themselves. It has to be an industry collaboration. So I think once we start to see some more kind of greater adoption, greater interoperability, liquidity is just going to come as a a kind of a natural impact. And then I think we're just going to see these type of issuances shoot off and it's moving a lot faster than any of us could have anticipated. So in the coming months and and quarters, I think we're just going to see the trend only increasing. Kenneth, please. I just want to echo what Rosie said. I do agree with you, Lewis, that the technology aspect is probably getting more and more mature. But we face a trade-off between, on one hand, keeping existing conventional market practice so that we can entice more people to get on board. And on the other hand, changing those inefficient practices that is kind of preventing from realizing the full benefit from from tokenization. A good example is actually uh, when we talk about settlement dates. 
So we are technically uh, possible to really shorten settlement from right now T plus seven to T plus one or even instantaneous. But what is happening in the bond market right now is that a lot of people actually source liquidity after they enter, enter into a deal. So we, we face this difficulty where you know we, we have to ask everyone to pre-fund or we are not able to basically do the kind of instant settlement that 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 we feel would would bring so much risk reduction and, and efficiency enhancement. So getting everyone to converge on a single kind of equilibrium, new equilibrium is is going to be quite challenging. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, you know, as as we were talking about earlier, it's it's obviously worth you know changing as little as possible in some ways so that you kind of minimize the the disruption that that people have to change to their the changes that people have to make to their their operating systems to to adopt this but but at the same time you've got to balance that against uh, making the sort of efficiency based improvements that that point about instantaneous settlement or atomic settlement you know, is that desirable in a marketplace where, where netting is, is standard? Rosie, can I come to you on that? It'd be interesting to get your your thoughts on, on that and how that's going to develop. Yeah, definitely. And and I think it relates to the whole conversation we've been having throughout about interoperability and, and market adoption. And, you know, as, as Kenneth was saying, it's definitely a challenge in, in thinking through, is atomic settlement the the goal? Is it a desired outcome? And then a question there is, is it a desired outcome right now? Or do we have some other obstacles that we need to work through prior to that being the goal? And so really thinking about, you know, how are we positioned from, we as a market positioned from a adoption perspective of blockchain technology? And is it the fact that you know, if we had more participants and more platforms on chain, actually then from a funding perspective, you would be able to facilitate that on chain. So there potentially then wouldn't be the need for pre-funding per se for these types of atomic settlement transactions. But I think to, to Kenneth's point, it, it's potentially a, a challenge right now, but it's really thinking about, you know, what's the time horizon for transition to moving to full atomic settlement for all types of transactions and what needs to be done in a step-by-step phase in order to to get to that point. And, and is it bringing more parties on chain? Is it bringing more processes on chain? And of course, w- with bringing processes and, and parties on chain, there will of course be challenges with that. But I think hopefully if we can all see the end goal and promise that, that blockchain can provide, you know, we, we work as an industry to get there and it can can further further the industry as a as a collective. Yeah, absolutely. As you as you said earlier, early stages, but but progress is is immensely rapid, and it's a very exciting time. Very much looking forward to the white paper and uh, learning more about the project and and seeing what's next from you guys. But Kenneth, thank you so much for for joining us today. Thanks a lot. And Rosie, great to have you as well. Thanks. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Lewis. And thank you to the audience very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it interesting. You can go to our website, omfith.org, to see upcoming events, commentaries, other podcasts. Our podcasts are available on Spotify and Podbean. And you can follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Thank you again for listening. Tune in to our launch of the upcoming digital assets report. If this is a topic of interest, uh, we'll be covering much more digital asset space in the report, which will be launched a panel on September 28th. Thank you again. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the OnFifth podcast.